8.40, time for us to move into word domination. And uh, I've just finished a fabulous read. If you feel like you want to take your mind into some rather extraordinary places. It's called Bridge. It's by the author Lauren Bierkus. Uh, she has lived in South Africa, was born in South Africa, is now living in the UK and is considered to be a major talent when it comes to, and I'm putting this in inverted commas. So Bridge is... An extraordinary story. The protagonist, Bridget, or Bridge, has just lost her mother. Or has she? Could her mother be in another universe, alive without the suffering and ultimately death caused by brain cancer? The appropriately named Bridge travels across worlds and gets into or moves into other lives, other selves, aided by a gateway drug called the Dreamworm. Is it a drug? Or is it a parasite? And all the while, she's hunted down by a character called Amber, who together with her dog, Mr. Fleef II, and a series of alter egos or alter alter selves, is following her carefully. Now, I've always been fascinated by the idea that we can be infected by zoonotic parasites, as you'll know here on the show that we could be infected by viruses, bacteria. I've talked about The Last of Us, the TV series, where humans are infected by a fungus that turns us into zombies. Um, The recent discovery of a live worm living in an Australian woman's brain. We really enjoyed talking to the doctor who had been involved in that operation. The cordyceps, which is a zombie ant fungus. And uh, Lauren touches on some of that as she talks about something called the golden thread. We've managed to get Lauren on the line. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Michelle. It's it's lovely to be back. It's lovely to have you back. Lauren, as I mentioned, you do touch on this idea that we could be, can be infected by what could be a zoonotic parasite. Not necessarily to say that what you call the dream worm is a zoonotic uh, parasite, but you, you touch on this idea which... I suppose what in many ways science fiction can do, and I'm not sure I like the term science fiction, future fiction maybe, is it, is, is it hits on, our, on anxieties in our world. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit further to that. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I write high concept thrillers. And I think what's really interesting about bringing in a high concept, whether that's a time-traveling serial killer in The Shining Girls, yes. which of course is now an Apple TV show, or this idea of a dream worm, which lets you switch realities and experience all the lives that you haven't lived, um, is it allows me to explore like big ideas that are maybe, um, would be quite kind of tedious or boring if I just kind of talked about like a character who was stuck in her life and trying to reconcile with her mom and she doesn't understand why she's so paralyzed by choice, which is essentially what the novel is about. Mm, But I've added on like this kind of, really cool layer the same way i did with zoo city with it has which has magical animals in johannesburg which is really a way of talking about crime and personal accountability and how we live with the things that we've done um so yeah i think future fiction is a great term for it rather than science fiction because i think that word tends to put people off yeah i um, agree so but, you know if you love if you love margaret atwood or naomi alderman you know they're exploring ideas and social issues and personal issues of who we are in the world through this kind of fantastic lens. And I think that's a really exciting space to play in. You know, um, I can also go on a whole tangent about parasites, but let's, let's get to that. <laughs> I, have, oh, I have a very cool, like, hanging out in the lab story with my friend oh, who studies tapes. Please tell us that, because I must say, that is one of my fascinations in the world. And, I, you know, you talk about, you say Margaret Atwood, and I'm thinking of, you know, her, her books. And 
it the future is in fact now in many ways and so if we think of margaret atwood's books what we're seeing with regards to uh, women, particularly if we look in the States at what's happening there um, with regards to anti-abortion and pro-lifers and that kind of thing, in many ways, that is what her book is about. Absolutely. And it was at the time that she published it in, I think, 1987 or whenever Jeez. it came out. But the fact is women's rights are constantly under threat. Um, but yeah. But to use but to use metaphors and stories in the way that you've done. Oh, please just give us like a great parasite story. I, I, <laughs> my friends know me to talk about them all the time. Uh, well, I mean, there's a whole chapter which just goes yes, on about I like know. kinds of parasites, <laughs> which is you know, it's also I love cordyceps. I think my favorite parasite is actually toxoplasmosis, which um, it, we get from cats. And there's one uh, researcher in the Czech Republic who believes that this might account for uh, differences in aggression with men. Wow. Uh, so it's a parasite we get from uh, cat poop, yeah. and it affects. Uh, it makes rats more fearless, and they run towards the smell of cats and cat urine. But in humans, it can make women more nurturing and men more aggressive, apparently. And um, he, this this Czech researcher, believes that he can track incidences of where toxoplasmosis is high based on how many road rage incidences there are involved Good in it. It's fascinating. I don't, I haven't seen the paper. I can't back it up. <laughs> but when I was doing my research and, you know, if you know anything about my work, you know, I yeah. love the deep dives into research. Yes. And I spent, um, I spent a day hanging out with my friend, uh, Dr. Haley Tomes in her, um, in her lab. And she's uh, studies tapeworm as the leading cause of epilepsy in Africa, yes. five to 10 years after infection. And I got to hang out with her in her lab and I didn't really know her very well at the time. She was a friend of a friend and she's showing me how she mushes up the tapeworm lava and then like injects it into like, you know, the, the rat brain slice with like, uh, I remember any of the names now because it's too early in the morning, but it's, it's basically in the book verbatim. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we just spend the day like geeking out and talking about parasites and, and looking at like, you know, tapeworm and rat brains. And, um, <laughs> and at the end she says to me, and she doesn't know me very well, but she says, well, do you want a piece of rat brain sliced to take home? <laughs> to do and what? Say, yes, of, course of course I do. I wanted. Of course I do. And, and she was so excited. She was like, oh, oh, amazing. Great. And she went off to go and get me a piece of rat brain slice. And if you're wondering what that looks like. Yes. Um. It looks like a desiccated piece of snot on a glass slide. <laughs> but I've, I, when I emigrated, I brought it with me. So I've got so, Pinky, the rat brain slice with me. Oh, Pinky and the brain, of course. Exactly. So you've got, uh, you know, this little piece of brain, I imagine, in a bottle. But you, you talk about, you, you have this fantastic scene, which is set in a, um, a scientist's uh, lab, but where there are bottles and of different strange uh, wonderful and bizarre things. And I, I, I love that and listening to you talk, it, it, it makes me assume or makes me think that you do add so much of your real life and what you see into these kinds of novels. And even you mentioning at some point, I think you mentioned the poet Koleka Putuma. And I was like, that is delightful that you like are still drawing from your own real world to create a world that may not actually be the world we know. Definitely. You know, I think for me, it's really important if you're going to play with incredible ideas to make them as credible as possible. Mm. Um, so everything else has to be super grounded and super real. Um, and yeah, like I love doing research. I, I put a lot of myself into the books, um, but also like doing the research is an excuse to have adventures with broken monsters. You know, we went and explored like abandoned buildings and and there were details which mm. came through 
you know, like the the, the beautiful swirls of dust motes in the sunlight, uh, you know, from the holes in the ceiling and these kind of radiant beams of light uh, that my friend pointed out to me is probably <laughs> asbestos. Yes. Uh, so if I die at 57, that's going to be why. We'll all um, know exactly what the story is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but that level of detail and like finding finding the details and the smells and there were black squirrels mm. running through the weeds. You know, that's something I couldn't make up. You know, Lauren, um, you mentioned it earlier on in the in in your uh, in the interview. You spoke about um, you know using really fantastical ideas to to cover stories which are are for far more perhaps profound, but are maybe sometimes more difficult to engage with. Um, and at one point in the book, I started to think about loss and grief. And, yeah. you know, I've lost my father to cancer last week. We buried a very, very good friend um, also to cancer. And it made me think about how sometimes when you lose someone, we are absolutely unable to believe that the person is actually gone. Yeah. And in many ways, your book is able to address that feeling of, no, this person hasn't left. They've just, they're just in another universe right now. And... Uh, I'm interested to know your, your feeling about taking those kinds of concepts and shifting them into a future fiction a story where it actually becomes a real terrible truth, actually. Yeah, I th look, I think I try to get at that with all of my books. Um, yeah. It's, you know, not, not grief in particular, but, um, you know, I think many of us, well, I mean, many of us my age, people my age, um, and, and yours, of course, I think a lot of us, of this age are kind of in between children and, and elderly parents. Yeah. Um, and my mom is still alive and she's an incredible vital force and, you know, she's ferocious and amazing in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, it, we, you are, you are confronting that. That is a reality. How do you, how do we process that? How do we process this loss of someone and what they meant to us and, and the various versions of them? I think there's also something I was, I was, intent on exploring, which again, also just kind of came through in the writing um, as kind of a subconscious process is how we never really know our parents. Yeah. And you know, may maybe later in life, we like reconnect with them and we get kind of get to know, but we won't know who they were in kind of the formative time. And also we're not supposed to, you know, I've got a, I've got a teenage daughter and she's not supposed to know me. She's supposed to know herself. She, that's yeah. what, that's what her big quest is, is to be figuring out who she is in her life. And, and um, in a wonderful way, your character, the, you know, the protagonist, Bridge, actually does know herself. And, um, you know, I don't want to be a, a, ultimately, a yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert, but ultimately <laughs> she discovers she she knows who she really is. I mean, and that's a wonderful yeah. thing. It is. It was also really interesting writing this because Bridge is very unlike or Bridget is where the name comes from, is very unlike many of my characters where, you know, a lot of my characters are like, bolshy and full of nonsense and like they're equipping and very funny um but they know exactly what they want they might be in a terrible situation but they're very certain of themselves and bridge isn't she's flailing she she has no idea what she wants to do with her life she's paralyzed maybe by some of the weird stuff which happened in her childhood um but i it was really interesting writing this book and then getting an adhd diagnosis in december a lot of wow. last year wow um yeah, and okay. and that is a feeling of paralysis and flailing and like all these things you could have done but didn't, and and I know that uh, there's a, another wonderful um, mother daughter multiverse story called uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh yes, yeah, which was phenomenal. But that is actually one of the Daniels who wrote it said like that's his ADHD brain. And I was like, oh right, it makes um, sense to so you. That was, 
it, it really made sense to me. And I can't tell you what a difference the diagnosis has made, um, just in terms of being able to understand why I couldn't do really simple things. And I think what happens a lot, um, my psychiatrist in the UK says, which has cost a fortune, can't tell <laughs> yes, you. Yes, I can Because um, you can't get through the NHS, there's like a seven-year waiting list. Yeah. But um, she says that a lot of women um, cope their entire lives and then they hit a big life event, like a divorce, um, which certainly happened to me when I got divorced in 2014. I just didn't know. Um, or the death of a parent or moving countries. And they also had perimenopause because estrogen, of course, affected as Lauren, well. Lauren, I have to have to leave you because we're going to crash into the break any moment. That's Lauren Bierkus, the author of Bridge. We'll give you the details right after the break. Always wish I could take the conversation further. So that book is called Bridge. It's uh, by the fabulous author Lauren Bierkus. Uh, it completely makes sense when she talks about ADHD when you read this book. It makes complete sense. It's published in South Africa by Umuzi, and it is also um, published by Penguin Random House internationally.